0: what's up with the clouds? Like, why are we doing that? And, and it really is to try to set the tone uh, for our, uh, our series that we'll be jumping into this morning. And so we'll be in the book of Lamentations uh, for the next four weeks. And, and the cloud is just to kind of symbolize what's happening in this book. Um, and, and to be honest, I think what happens uh, in our lives, uh, that we go through rhythms of lamenting. Uh, now, you might be sitting here and, and wondering, well, what is to lament? Uh, lament is a response to suffering in which one is allowed to express doubt, confusion, frustration, and dare I say it, even outrage. Lament stems from an acute experience of pain, be it physical, emotional, or spiritual. And I'm sure uh, as you guys were sharing in the question of the day, you were feeling a sense of that. Uh, this tension that exists in our lives where uh, we go through times where we're just we're wrestling, and we have no idea why it is that we're experiencing this thing, this burden, this difficulty, this challenge. And so the book of Lamentations calls us as God's people to lament that this is actually a good thing. And so the book of Lamentations, my hope, is that it'll teach us three things over the uh, next four weeks, that we will see three things constantly coming to the surface as we navigate through this book, and that is that we cannot avoid suffering and pain. We cannot avoid suffering and pain, that it is part of the human experience, and this is for those who have crossed the line of faith, so those who are Christians and those who are not. We will, at some point in our lives, experience suffering and pain, and so we cannot avoid it. The second thing that we will see is that even though we realize this, we fight hard to avoid this pain. We fight really, really hard to avoid this pain, and and I'm hoping that as we walk through lamentations, that we will see that God says, no, hold on, we should engage with this pain. That we should actually engage with this pain. And that the third thing is that lament is about creating space for our pain to breathe. To lament is to create a a safe space for our pain to breathe. See, we acknowledge it, we are honest about it, and we come before God with our feelings and frustrations. There is something strange in the way that we get a sense of healing by just being honest. Those of you who have maybe found yourselves uh, in a room with a psychologist or psychiatrist, that that most of them will tend to say this to you, that, that you've got to allow this pain to breathe as you open up. And that actually helps with the healing. And so that's my hope over these next few weeks, that we would do that, that we would create the space here as we gather on a Sunday and during the week as we gather in our groups, safe spaces for our pain to breathe. Now, we're going to run into a number of challenges as we walk through the book of Lamentations, and here's why. Lamenting is not a desired trait in our society. It's not something that, that people are like, hey, listen, this is what we should be doing especially in middle-class South Africa. It's not a desired trait. and Because we, we are either obsessed with success so much that when we run into difficult situations, we tell ourselves that we should pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that we should work harder, that we shouldn't be walking into these difficult situations if we work harder. That's what we tell ourselves. And so it's it's not a trait that is welcomed in our society. It's all about victory and being triumphant. The other reason that it will be difficult for us to engage with this is not only because our society tells us that we should be all about success and that we should work harder to, to make sure that we don't enter into these spaces. The other reason is because when we are faced with difficulty, we numb ourselves to it. We numb ourselves to it. We don't want to engage. And so we just kind of avoid it. No one sends invites to funerals. We just don't want to go. We avoid it. We we try to numb ourselves and we do various things. Sometimes we'll just continue to work harder. We'll dive into the deep end of social media. or Sex. Alcohol we numb ourselves to it. But I believe lamentations gives us a third way. It's not always pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's not always work harder, and it's not always just numb yourself to it. Lamentations gives us a third way, that we actually lament. We actually lament. And so as we jump into the series. Um, I was actually even wrestling this morning, just trying to figure out, should I read chapter one? So we're going to be in chapter one this morning. Should I read it to us? Cause it's quite long, but I think I should. I think I should, because I don't think too many of us have actually even read the book of lamentations, let alone lament. And so I think it'll be good for us just to, to read these words together for so that they would come off the pages of our Bibles. And that we would enter into this space. And so Lamentations uh, was written to those who had been left behind in Jerusalem. And so in 587 BC, Babylon shows up into Jerusalem, invades it. It's an epic mess. It is an epic mess. Men are slaughtered. Children and women are are taken into slavery. They burn the lands. And so many of them are taken back to Babylon. Babylon. If you read the book of Jeremiah, that's that a book written to them, to, to those who are taken into exile, but there are many who are left behind. And so the book of Lamentations is written to them. And so like we do, I'm going to read it to us. It's long, and so stay with me. Every now and then I'll lift my head and make sure we're still here together. And then I'll pray. I'll pray for you. i ask that you pray for me, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. So Lamentations chapter 1, I believe it'll be up on the screen as well. Hear these words of our Father. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captive before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no posture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was none to help her, her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despised her for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanliness was her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands all over her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade, to enter your congregation." All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you? All who pass by, look and see. If there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which has brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into yoke. By his hand, they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For those things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear, all you peoples, and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves, in the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me. Because all my transgressions, because of all my transgressions, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. Let's pray. Father, we come again to your word, asking that you would make it plain to us, that you would reveal yourself to us through it. That This is a difficult, difficult, difficult thing to wrestle with, that that many of us, we try to avoid the difficult situations and the challenges that we face in our lives. And so I'm hoping that by the power of your spirit, you would lead us to a place where we would have healthy rhythms of lament that we find ourselves in a society and in a context with many troubles. Many of us are uncertain about what will happen tomorrow, what will happen next week and next month and next year. And so, Lord, we come to you crying out to you that you would do the work that only you can do. I pray against any distractions here this morning. I pray against the evil one whose desires are to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, Lord, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our king. You are our redeemer. Would you have your way in this place this morning? In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. So Jeremiah writes the book of Lamentations. Chapter 1. If we were to look at the first seven verses, what Jeremiah is doing is he's basically just saying, Hey guys, this is what happened. He's recapping the story. He's going, This is what happened. That we were once this, this thriving city, the city that was doing so well, that people wanted to come and live here. But now we are in ruins. We are in ruins. He sets the tone. He he tells the story. But then he transitions in verse 8. He shifts from observation to evaluation. He goes from what to why. After explaining the what, he now tells us the why. In verse 8, he says, Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. He's he's using the language of adultery. That's what he's doing. As he begins to unpack the why, he he uses the language of adultery. He says that the other nations have seen her nakedness. Let me give some cultural context to why we land here. See, in in that time, when a woman was caught in adultery, she would be brought to the public and then her skirt would be lifted so that all would see her. The shame, the guilt. They wanted her to sit in it because of her adultery. And so he uses the same language. He says, all the nations now see you for who you are. The adulteress the root issue is that the people of God had given themselves to other lovers. They had given themselves to idolatry, the worshiping of other gods, that this is adultery, and the shame and the guilt that we are to read in Lamentations. Jeremiah wants to make sure that that is clear to us The shame and the guilt. He continues in verse 9 with the Hebrew poetic imagery of this shame. Her uncleanliness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction for the enemy has triumphed. Now, out of hurt and shame, in verse 12, she speaks, and she being the city, she speaks by lamenting. See, in her lament, we see what a, a good friend of mine called Brandon Bocca, he, he he sees or he says that as we lament, when we look at lamenting, we should see five movements, five movements, five movements that inform our lamenting much like the five stages of grief. In lamenting, we have the five movements. Now, it's important that I call them movements and not steps. Movements, because they'll go in and out of one another. In and out of one another, depending on where you are in your lamenting. And so after telling us what, and then telling us why, The city laments five movements. The first one is that we recognize God's presence and role in suffering. We recognize God's presence and role in suffering. Verse 12 to 15. Is it nothing to you all who pass by? Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which has brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high, he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand, they were fastened. Together, they set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand." The Lord rejected all my mighty men in the midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. Did you notice that he did this? He did this. He did this. We must recognize God's presence and role in our suffering. Because, see, for many of us, we'll, we'll recognize God's presence... We'll acknowledge that he's there, but we'll tell ourselves that his hands are tied and that there's nothing that he can do, that he himself sits on his throne and looks at our situation and is like, I, I, I didn't know that this was going to happen. I'm in shock just as you are in shock. That is how we see God, but, but the scriptures tell us Differently. That he is both present and has a role in our suffering. Notice in verse 12, My sorrow which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. In verse 13 and 14, Fire sent into my bones, transgressions bound into a yoke upon my neck. Friends, this is the language of judgment. This is the language of judgment that is being used here. But but let me say this, and as we continue to move through the book of Lamentations, it's the language of judgment, but it's actually discipline. It's the language of judgment, but it's it's actually discipline, and this is a good thing. because The book of Hebrews tells us that that he, he loves those he disciplines. And so this is discipline. Now, to be contextually correct, to be faithful to the text. What's happening here is because the, the, the people of God have sinned against him. They've committed adultery. They've worshipped idols and have not worshipped God. And, and so God says, listen, I, I, I'm going to place upon you discipline. I'm going to use the language of judgment, but I'm going to place upon you discipline. The danger, the danger for us here is to go, okay, now let me think all the suffering that I'm experiencing in my life, is it because I've committed adultery against God and is God using judgment language, but he's actually disciplining me? Let let me say this. Yes, and sometimes no. That yes, sometimes in our lives, when we sin against God, he, he will allow suffering in our lives as a form of discipline. That we would get to a point, as we will see in a moment, where we will go, hold on, what on earth am I doing? What on earth am I doing? Why am I pursuing all these idols? Why am I worshipping all these idols, whether it's success or accolades or education or family or friends or sex or chocolate? Some of y'all didn't expect me to go there, right? See, for many of us, we'll run to food as a form of comfort, hoping to find life and meaning in it. We'll preach about porn all day long and we'll say nothing to those who will run to the fridge to find God there. And what I'm saying is that all of it, all of it is to sin against God. And so, yes, some of the suffering that you're experiencing might be because you have sinned against God but also sometimes the suffering that we find ourselves in is because we have been created for community. And so when one people group sin, it has implications on the rest of us. It it would be foolish to think that every single person in Jerusalem was worshiping idols. I believe there were God-fearing men and women there. I really do. Men who were honoring God, but yet they found themselves in the same suffering. And that should remind us that we are wired for community. This is important for us to hear because some of us, we sit here and we go, well, when I sin, it's just my sin. It's just me. I'm not really hurting anyone. It has implications. It has consequences on the rest of us. And so we too are then under this suffering we too are under this discipline because it will it'll come a day where all of us, all of us will have to turn to God. Not some, but all of us. We are wired, beautifully created for community. And so I just wanted to say that just to make it clear. The nation of Jerusalem, it's because of their disobedience to God. We must acknowledge that we are under the authority of God. His presence and role in our suffering. But this is challenging. Like I've said, this is challenging for us to believe. To believe that, that God has a presence and a role in our suffering. It's really hard for us to believe this. And, and here's why. Society tells us that we are made to succeed in everything that we do. I've alluded to this already. That failure is no option. And if failure is no option, then suffering is a complete no-go area. We are to be triumphant. Right? We are to be triumphant. This is why we work so hard, late nights, early mornings. It's all about the grind. And so, if you suffer, society tells us that it's your own fault. It's because you didn't work hard enough. We have this culture of triumphalism. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, it is now. All right, So insert it in your mind. It's a word we'll be using throughout the series. We have a culture of triumphalism. So therefore, God, God cannot allow this suffering to happen. Uh, and we'll go, yes, yes, sir. we understand that Jesus had to suffer. We, we, we understand that. But he suffered so that I might be triumphant. That's the logic. And while that is true in our salvation, hear me, while that is true in our salvation, it is completely different in our sanctification. Let me unpack that. So Jesus had to suffer, nailed to the cross, stepped into our place, bore the wrath of God so that we might be reconciled back to the Father. And the direct implication to that is reconciled to one another. For the purposes of our salvation, Jesus had to suffer. And so once you are saved, you are saved. Your positional standing is one of victory. Your positional standing is one of victory. Your identity is found in Christ who is victorious. So we are triumphant. But the reality is that we still live in a broken world. We still live in a broken world. And so how we navigate in this broken world where we ourselves are sinful and those around us are sinful is through the process of sanctification. And what that means is that God is continually making us more and more and more like him. My identity is in Christ, but as I live in this world, I I need to be more and more like Him. I I need to trust in Him and to not believe the lives of the evil one. To not turn away from God and, and turn to my own doings. And so often God will use suffering as a process of sanctification, that we are being refined, as the Bible says, like gold. It's not a pretty process. Fire is hot, It is uncomfortable, but what it produces, the gold that comes out on the other side is is pure. And so that's what God is doing. And so how do we make sense of all of this? Triumphant in our salvation, but but then we suffer in our sanctification so that we can become more and more like him. How, How do we make sense of all of this? Well, let me say how we don't. Let me say how we don't. When we get these two mixed up, salvation and sanctification, we start to say things like this. My God would never allow this to happen. That's what we do. He would never allow this to happen. And when it does happen, notice I use the word when. Not if, but when. When it does happen. When suffering does come your way. This is what we'll do. We'll either deny God's role in our situation. And that's dangerous because that is to deny the sovereignty of God. And so we will deny God's role in our situation. Or we will shake our fist at God. We will look to the heavens and say, how dare you? This is not fair. How dare you? This is not helpful. This is not helpful. In fact, this is not, we are not to do this. The book of Lamentations tells us that that is not our response. We, we don't deny God's role in it and we don't throw our fists at him. But rather we lament. We lament. And so the city sees this and notices this. And so in her pain, she embraces the sovereign hand of God and this lays a foundation for movement too this lays the foundation for movement 2 when we embrace the sovereign hand of god in our situation it lays the foundation for movement 2 which is we respond with emotional honesty in our lamenting we respond with emotional honesty verse 16 for these things i weep my eyes flow with tears for a comforter is far from me one to revive my spirit my f- my children are desolate for the enemy has Prevailed. Emotional honesty. And boy, this is a tough one. This is a really, really hard one. And and here's why. Because we are afraid to feel. We are so afraid to feel. And so often we numb ourselves. We keep ourselves busy and and, and avoid this the situation at all costs. We're afraid to feel that left alone long enough in the the presence of this reality, this suffering, we feel like our lives will collapse. Guys, this is why we are afraid of silence. Because in our silence, it forces us to actually look at the situation. It forces us to realize that we live in a broken world where you and I are sinful where we make bad decisions. Though we want to keep our eyes focused on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, we believe the lies of the evil one. And so we keep ourselves busy so that we don't feel, so that we don't get to that point where, where we just are confronted with this reality and now we weep. We do this with everything. We look at the brokenness of the world and then we we close our eyes or we turn away. We do this in our cars, driving down the road. And we see the street kids on every single corner. We do what I call the look away. I see it all the time. I used to do it. I'm driving in my car and, and, and I notice you, but, I, but I, I look away as if you're not there because I, I don't want to have to deal with this reality that, that, that the reason that you're here is, is because of the brokenness that we find in the world is because of the sin that we find in this world. just don't want to deal with it. We've got to find ourselves in movement too. Just like this city did. Emotional honesty. And it's okay. It's okay if our lives collapse. It's actually a good thing. For some of us, it's a very good thing. Look, the Jerusalem collapsed. It got to that point where Jerusalem collapsed. See, for some of us, it might take the discipline of God in our lives before we get to that place of honesty because we will sin and sin and sin and sin and sin, and we'll just keep going to the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so God will be like, I love you. I cannot let you continue to do this to yourself and those around you. And so God's hand of discipline will come upon you. Some of us need that so that we can get up to a place of honesty. Honesty where we go, I keep running to these things and I'm not going to find life and meaning in them. But when God's hand of discipline comes upon us, we should see this as an act of grace and mercy. We really should. We should see this as an act of grace and mercy from God. Because that becomes the soil for movement three. That becomes the soil for movement three. Verse 17, Zion, well movement three is, is genuine confession of sin. All right? This takes us to a place of genuine confession of sin. Verse 17, Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. Verse 18, hear this. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. I have rebelled against his word. There is genuine confession of sin. Emotional honesty leads to this place where we can cry out to God and say, you know what, it's because I've rebelled against his word. But this also is difficult. Movement three is incredibly difficult. Because instead of being honest and going, I have rebelled, we prefer to to play the blame shift game. We prefer to play the blame shift game game. It's always someone else's fault. I'm in this situation because someone did X, Y, and Z. Now, now, h- hear me. Hear me. I am aware, fully aware, that a lot of the stuff that happens in our lives, yes, it's because someone has done something. That is true. Absolutely true. But that's not always the case. That's the point that I'm trying to make here. That's not always the case. I'm not trying to let people off the hook by no means, but I also want to make sure that we are aware that there is no race, no culture, and no socioeconomic class that has a monopoly on sin. I say that again. There is no race, no culture. And no socioeconomic class that has a monopoly on sin. That at some point in our lives we have been both the oppressor and the oppressed. At some point. I'm not letting people off the hook. Please don't go and tell friends, hey, Rooted's like, Apartheid was a good idea and it's no one's fault. Or colonization, or xenophobia, or the tribal wars that exist between one another. That's not what I'm saying. We call out sin when we see it. But friends, friends, please, 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 don't play the victim game. That at some point in our lives, all of us were the oppressor and the Oppressed. And so before we point fingers and seek account to others, be ready to give your own account. Be ready to give your own account. Otherwise, we will always be the victim. Blame shifting. Saying that we have no responsibility to what is happening in the brokenness that we find ourselves in. And that is not true. We need to see sin for what it is. And sometimes we need to see the sin beneath the sin and how I wish I had time to unpack that. We need to have our eyes open to sin. And when we do, right? When we do, when we recognize God's role and and presence in our suffering, when there's emotional honesty, when, when we get to a point of genuine confession, our eyes are now opened and this leads us to movement four we see the the false promises now revealed. These false promises are now revealed. Look with me in verse 19. I called to my lovers. Here's that imagery of adultery again. I called to my lovers, to these idols, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. See, when we recognize sin for what it is, our eyes are now opened. And we actually get to see that these idols, their intentions are to deceive us. Their intentions are to deceive us. Not to disappoint us. My, my wife and I, in our marriage, we disappoint one another. Regularly. Mia more than her. Pray for us. But the one thing that we had to be clear about in our relationship is that we don't enter into an argument or, or a confrontation with the intentions to deceive. That's not what's happening. And so there's a difference between disappointment and deception. And we've got to know this difference when our idols are calling our names. Friends, porn has a desire to deceive you. But because we think of it as disappointment, we'll go, oh, I'm disappointed, so let me just go to the next idol. And that'll disappoint me, okay, so let me just go to the next one. Hoping to find an idol that will meet your needs. But if you start with, no, hold on, the intention is to deceive me. When I run to the fridge hoping to find life and meaning, that chocolate cake's intention is to deceive me with all its cream and loveliness. Have you wondered why you'll eat it and then you'll go, uh, a little while later you'll be like, oh, I still feel the same. Like well, Maybe I should, should, should go to the next thing. And the next thing. And the next thing. But if we started from that point of, hold on, these idols, their desires to deceive me. That's when you know your eyes are open. Your eyes are open to the deceit Jerusalem finally saw this deceit this deception and upon seeing that looking around the ruins looking at all the idols some of them still in place some of them now fallen this now leads to movement 5 movement 5 is to cry out to God for deliverance notice they're still in the ruins they're still in the ruins. God hasn't maybe provided that job opportunity yet. God hasn't provided that marriage. God maybe hasn't solved your marriage yet. Your kids are still running wild in the house. And so things aren't sorted yet. And that's what we'll do. We'll, we'll go, once things get sorted, then I'll cry out to God. They're still in Jerusalem. But because they've, they've allowed themselves to lament... And have worked their way through these movements, they get to movement five and go, God help me. God help us. Verse 20, look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street the sword bereaves, in the house it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me. Because of my transgressions, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. We cry out to God for deliverance, for escape, for liberation, for relief for rescue that he would rescue us from ourselves from ourselves that we are in desperate need of a savior and so I find myself at the end of my rope my resources aren't enough my intellect isn't enough My connections aren't enough. And it feels like that right now in South Africa. Friends, it does. It feels like it, doesn't it? And so we cry out to God. Instead of pointing fingers and typing on social media, we cry out to God. That he would rescue us from ourselves. This is what it means to lament, friends. And as we walk through the book of Lamentations, my hope is that you would see that over and over and over and over again, the, the, the five movements that maybe you would begin to put them into practice into your own lives. Movement one, that we recognize God's presence and role in our suffering. Movement two, that that leads to emotional honesty. Movement three, that there would be a genuine confession of sin, your sin, your sin. And that that would lead to our sin. And as that happens, that we would see these false promises revealed. That all these idols would have no more power over us. Because we know, we know that their desires are to steal, kill, and destroy. And then that would lead us to a point where we cry out to God, that we see Him as the, the only true God, the only one that can rescue us. Not legislation, not economic reform. Some of us are holding on to December. We're, we're going, that, that is what's going to save us. It, it's whatever the ANC decides. Gosh, I hope they make a good decision. And I do, I hope they make a good decision. But I'm not holding on to that, going, that's what's going to save us. We cry out to God for deliverance. And so as I land the plane, I want to say this, that complaining, of which many of us do, of which I do, complaining and, and even worldly grief, grief that is not anchored in the scriptures, notice that, that, that both these two, they start and end with us. When we complain, it starts and ends with us. The focus is on us. Whereas lamenting starts and ends with God. It starts and ends with God. Movement one is recognizing God's role and his presence in our suffering. And movement five is crying out to deliverance to God. And I want us to know that this is a good thing. That it starts and ends with God. That this is a good thing. And my hope is that as we navigate through the book of Lamentations, that we would see how good God is. So that when we navigate through this broken world with all its complexities and all its difficulties, we might find hope. If it starts and ends with God, then there is hope. That is why we are walking through the book of Lamentations. That is why I'm encouraging us to begin to have healthy rhythms of lament because friends we are in desperate need not only of it but of the one that it points to let's pray and so father we come to you now asking uh, that you would you would move us to this place where we would find great comfort in our lamenting and and i don't know like someone might be sitting here going i just don't know where to begin my life is littered with ruins it's littered with ruins it feels like everything is falling apart whether it's my marriage or my job situation my relationships or even just my walk with you and so they're asking where do i begin Father, help us to see that you have given us community so that we might not walk through this alone. I think for some of us, that's where we need to start. To not live in isolation, to not feel like I have to go through this by myself, to to not show up to times like this with a face that says, I've got everything together. Well, beneath the surface, everything is falling apart. Help us to see that community is good for us. And as we walk through community, that we would recognize Your presence and your role in everything that is happening, that you are sovereign, that you are seated on your throne, that you have not taken a bathroom break, that you're not looking at our situation and wondering what is going on, that you are intimately engaged. And that would be the starting point as we begin to navigate through whatever challenge and difficulties that we face. And so, Father, we need you help us, guide us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.